Urban and beyond this September in Louisville, Kentucky with Bruno Mars. The Killers. Black Keys. Brandy Carlisle. Plus Duran Duran, Billy Strings, The Black Crows, The Avid Brothers, Blondie, and so many more. Bourbon and Beyond, September 14th through 17th in Louisville, Kentucky. All passes on sale now at bourbonandbeyond.com. Hello, hello, everyone. My name is John Edwards. Zeke Baker is on assignment, but together we make the Dad's Drink of Bourbon. Wherever you are, whatever time it is, thank you for making us part of your day. It is a very special day. Um, This gentleman and I have talked back and forth probably for about a year, and I don't know what happened. It's I dropped the ball. I know I did at some point, but like we were like, yeah, we should do an interview together. Yeah, we should. And then like six months would pass, and it's like, hey, we're going to schedule that interview, and the holidays happened, all sorts of stuff happened. I'm finally so happy to have this man on the show, and that is Mike Montgomery from Blue Run Spirits. He is the CEO and founder and all that fun stuff. Mike, thank you for hanging on. Thank you for being patient with me and welcome to Dad's Drink of Bourbon. Oh man, thanks for having me. And I got to tell you, I don't think it's your fault. I think I was probably the one who dropped the ball, but um, this is really exciting for me because I've wanted to do this, as you know, for a very long time. And it's like, um, feels like the big leagues here. Oh no, no, absolutely not. But you know, it's one of those things where I know we have a lot of mutual friends and everybody was like, you should talk to Mike. And I'm like, yeah, I should talk to Mike. And then, like, <laughs> then I'd reach out. And but it's funny. It, it wasn't. It wasn't you that dropped the ball. I promise. It was a very weird year. I think for me last year. And I will. I will say. I told you before we started recording. I wasn't going to talk about me. But I. I personally. Well, let's and, talk about you. Go for it. I don't know how you feel. I mean, I'm. I'm turning this into a question. But at least for me, I feel like last year where it was like the quote unquote end of stuff i feel like it went zero to 68 in four seconds like a tesla like so the second everything was like okay i felt like i was no longer going 100 percent for the rest of the year i was going 200 percent for the rest of the year in my day job all the kids stuff is opened up again like everything was just going and i couldn't catch up i don't know about you full ludicrous mode is yeah. uh is what that is yeah so you know, 2020, 2021 were, you know, mostly forgettable years. <laughs> I was just talking about about that with someone the other day and how there was such, you know, obviously nobody likes a pandemic. Nobody likes the, the full shutdown and the, the change in, in life. But there's also a change in lifestyle. You know, if we can if we can pull some positives out of COVID, it's the fact that we all got to slow down a little bit right? Maybe spend a little bit more quality time with our family than we usually do because we're going, you know, in a million different directions all the time. And then you're right. And then, and then like, you know, 2022 happened and it was like, light your hair on fire. We're back at it, but we're not just back at it. We're going like, we're doubling our speed. Yeah. We're making up for all the time that we, we slowed down. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, it's a, it's a pretty big start and stop. Although I do have to say, you know, at least from, from the blue run perspective, you know, uh, uh, no 
you know, pun intended, we've, we've been running hard, you know, since, uh, since November, probably before that, but at least publicly since November of 2020. Which um, it's really crazy how many brands and bourbon podcasts popped up in the middle of the pandemic. But, you know, it was like, and you think about, I've talked to so many brands too, where it's like they were working on stuff. I mean, obviously you popped your head up in November of 2020. You can't pop your head up in November of 2020 and not have been working on it <laughs> since 2019 or earlier. Yeah. So... I wish we could have snapped our fingers like that and been like, it's go time. You know, we're ready to roll. Sorry to interrupt your question, but what was it like? Um, so, you know, what we saw was that you know, people were looking for something to do. And let me even back up further than that. We had a we had a game plan, full game plan about how we were going to launch and what it was going to look like. And, you know, it included it included backpacks full of bottles walking you know walking through manhattan um taste testing people taste testing people and and a trunk load full of bottles uh in louisville and you know um really get in front in front of people the whole idea of of liquid to lips right yeah and then the pandemic happened and we're like okay we're going to have to tear that up and figure out a new a new path forward. Uh, but the beauty for us was that we heard that there were a lot of brands out there that had uh, delayed their launches, right? They were pushing product launches because of the pandemic. And so it created this, this like perfect opening for us where we were like, okay, everybody else has just cleared the field, right? It created this opening where, you know, it's like, you know, the, the left tackle just created this massive hole and we just ran through it. I mean, I want to take a step back and then take a step forward because I think your marketing, one of the reasons I've, I've wanted to talk to you for so long is the way that you did launch and, and your marketing was so different than what other people were doing. But I'm going to hold that for a second. Like, what did you do before Blue Run? What made you want to, what made you want to start a whiskey <laughs> I, I company? <laughs> I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> I was in the uh, in the political world, so I'm sorry. I I know, I know. I uh, way way back in the day, I actually worked for candidates and elected officials, and I got really sick of that because you know it's a it's quite a world full of you know narcissists and. <laughs> Yeah, go ahead. Funny enough, I was a poli sci major, and uh -huh. I did my internships, and I was like, "No, nah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, yeah. I'm not. I'm gonna go get a job in radio and then tech." But like, I did my internships, and it was like, "Yeah, this isn't for me. I'm sorry." Let's. I gotta tell you then. So I went to the University of Washington, um, and when I was a sophomore, I was taking journalism classes because, it, you know, I wanted to be a uh, TV sports anchor. Right. Yeah. I want to do TV. Right. Look, I wanted, I'm a Seattle kid. I wanted to do Seattle sports and University of Washington killed the major. And so I like, I had, I, I was interning at, I had interned at two different radio stations, different, another two different TV stations. Like this is the path. And they, they killed that. And so, so I needed to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. Right. It's a good thing they killed it. Because you wouldn't have been making a very good salary if you stayed. That's no. what killed it for me is, is you know, a few years in the radio world. I was like, yeah, I got to go get a job in tech if I'm ever going to have a family. 
there were similar thoughts. I didn't know it was going to go bald either. Um, <laughs> Same. Right. Right. So like that happened, but like, I just kind of fell into politics and uh, you know, uh, at, at interestingly, there was no entry level sort of position. It was really at the highest levels almost immediately. And so I got a real glimpse into what that world looked like. It's um, like you're Ryan Reynolds and definitely maybe where like, <laughs> you know, he takes the job at first day, he's filling the toilet paper and then he's getting $10,000 a seat functions at a, at an event. It really was like that. And it's, it's funny because I was brought on uh, the then governor's campaign as, as the number three fundraiser on his team. And within three months, the top two people had let go. And here's this kid fresh into politics who's running Northern California finance for the governor. And it's like, how'd that happen? <laughs> right. And so, so that, that kind of opened up, it opened up a lot of different doors for me. You know, it led me to my wife. I mean, things happen for a reason. And, and yet I knew that I couldn't work for candidates or elected officials anymore. It's difficult, right? They're difficult. Uh, it's high stress, high pressure. You're only as good as the last thing you've done. And there's, there's a very short memory. It was a natural shift to, to start my, uh, my own, own public affairs company, which, which really was focused on utilizing political solutions for what I called business problems. And really taking taking that skill set and applying it mostly to uh, to to challenges that tech companies were having in California, which is uh, fair. Call it, yeah, call it call it new economy stuff back in the day, and that was all well and fine, and life was good, and no real complaints other than the fact that clients suck. Right? I I, I quickly learned that there's no difference between a client and a candidate. A lot of people would say, oh, it's so awesome. You have your own company. It must be amazing. And I'd say, no, what, what happened is I just got more bosses. And there's always people there. There's going to be somebody who just is having a bad day and wants to feel better. And you're the vendor so they can take it out on you. And then they feel better. They feel important and telling you what to do. You know, telling the owner of a company what to do when you're a mid-level manager can really make somebody's day sometimes. And that sucks, unfortunately. It's something else. It's something else, isn't it? You know, it was a sustainable career, but at the same time, I realized that there was more out there. And what I what I felt like felt was happening was that I was I was coming up with what I thought were, and who knows, maybe they were good, maybe they're bad, but what I thought were really good creative solutions for these companies. And it's, as you know, it's not easy to come up with good ideas, right? <laughs> like it's not just a, you know, a, a free flowing fountain of, of brilliance all the time, right? Like it takes thought and time and work. And so I was, I was really pouring myself into their problems and coming up with what I thought were great ideas and solutions to, to the challenges they were facing. Ultimately, I came to the conclusion that it was high time for me to start figuring out how to apply some of my ideas to something that mattered more to me. Not to cut you off for a second. I mean, there's so much to unpack out of this that I, I don't even think we've touched the surface on it, but it's like, number one, 
Because I, I was, again, I said I wasn't going to talk about me, but it just <laughs> turns out that we have a lot of similarities here. But I was a tech consultant, and the best solutions come from a partnership where you're allowed to fail, but you're also allowed to deliver tough messages to the client. And you need to be able to have a client where you're going to say, listen, I don't know the right answer right now, but we're going to sit in a room and we're going to whiteboard it for a whole day and we're going to figure it out. Or, hey, we're going to try this. It might suck. We're going to back it out. Like there's so many things that could happen that way. But also, I think there's a feeling of you're giving your ideas to other people and they're making a lot of money off of it. At the same time, yes, are you making money in your business and, and what you're doing? A hundred percent. But they're making more money off of what you're doing. And I'm, I'm sure somewhere in your brain, you're like, yes, I own this. And yes, it's successful. But like, I could be applying these ideas in my own life and doing something else. Oh, so you said it, you said it better than I could. Um, I was creating asset value for others. That's that was that was essentially my job was creating asset value for others. You know, once the problem was solved, I was out, right? Yeah, and it's not that, like you get was, royalties off of their, you know, no, their solution being better. No, not not at all. And so that that's um that's something that I did find frustrating. So that that was kind of the beginning of of what we'll call like pre-stage entrepreneurial itch. I need to figure out how to scratch that thing. But it was, what are you going to scratch? Like, what is yeah. that industry that you are going to scratch? Yeah. And I didn't know. And, you know, it was, it was trial and error. It was really trial and error for me. So yeah. What, what industry is that going to be? And, you know, I tried a bunch of different things. So um, give us some of your best failures. Oh, uh, so, you know, it's, it's funny to look back on some of these things because, like I'll say, that was my idea and somebody else is doing it. Well, it, if I didn't do it, it wasn't my idea, right? I, I, I could never actuate it. So one of these these projects um, was called Dine and Dash. And this was, this was pre-mobile payments, you know, where, you know, uh, you could walk into a restaurant. Usually it was like you have to put your card down on the tray and they take the tray back and they run it. And, um, you know, the theory was we were going to, to revolutionize mobile payments in restaurants for small businesses. Turns out that there are a lot of other people who do that a lot better and it's happening right now. But, you know, we gave it a whirl for about a year before we threw in the towel and said, this isn't, this just isn't going to work. So decent idea, massive fail. You know, there was a, um, uh, you know, we went through a, a, a filing for a patent on a method of making CBD wine and spirits. And, you know, the theory was I, I wasn't really interested in, in that aspect of the, of the business, but I looked at that and thought there are a lot of people putting CBD in everything. It's moving so fast. Who's actually thinking about processes, scientific processes for mixing, you know, these, these elements into, into drinks. And so we went through that process, spent a wasted a bunch of money. The patent uh, process is time consuming and expensive and that failed. Um, but ultimately the, the next thing that came down the pike was, uh, was a call from uh, Jesse McKnight, who I would call a colleague 
Um, at the time, he was the type of guy who uh, could call me and say, hey, I got a crazy idea. And I'd call him and say, I've got a crazy idea. And we'd both listen. And so one day, Jesse called me and said, somebody wants to sell me some barrels of bourbon. What should we do? And I thought about it for a second. I said, drink them? You know, like... <laughs> Right, because because we both we both love bourbon, but it never really occurred to me that hey, there's there's something else out there, right? There's an opportunity out there, and but when he said it, I just, I heard a couple barrels of bourbon, and I thought, okay, that's not a business, so you know, punt. But I couldn't get it out of my head. I just kept thinking about it like day and night. You know, I'd wake up in the middle of the night and scribble things down, and finally I called him one day and said, uh, you know, how many more barrels? Do you think you can get? Are they any good? And he said, I don't know. I'll find out why. And I said, Well, because I think I think we can do something here. Right. I think we can actually take the skills that and Jesse comes from the political world as well. We can take the political skills and apply them to a whole new industry in a way that that these these theories haven't been applied before. And so that was the genesis of Blue Run. Which is kind of crazy. I mean, you're lucky because Jesse is from Kentucky and, and obviously kind of has that whole thing around there. And it's very, I mean, if you watch the Pappy heist on uh, the Netflix one, what was it? You know, the crazier thing about that is like, dude got busted for selling Pappy and he wasn't even selling it at secondary. Like this poor guy could have been making so much money off of that. But the bigger <laughs> thing is just that there were barrels of Turkey. Like it is, you know, like, somebody's yeah, like front yard yeah like hey i got a barrel of turkey you want it like that type of stuff have i heard stories about people getting barrels from distilleries as payment for something where uh they just happen to get a barrel and nobody really questions where they got it from but also nowadays it's with the ndps the way they are i think everybody's got a side gig in kentucky as a broker you know, it's like everybody's yeah. like, hey, I, I work at this distillery, but at night I also move barrels for this distillery. It's crazy, right? Like it's uh, you and I should go in the broker business, uh, <laughs> but it's definitely not oversaturated. <laughs> definitely not oversaturated. <laughs> but yeah, the, the you know, living in Los Angeles and I remember I didn't grow up here, but, you know, I spent a lot of time here, I guess, in the call it the 90s and you know the idea of um of driving down the 405 freeway and seeing a van pull up next to you at you know 65 miles an hour and open the doors and try to sell you speakers that's that's what it felt like when jesse said hey some i got a couple i can buy a couple barrels of, of bourbon that's what it felt like some dude driving down the, the freeway at 65 miles an hour with the door of their van open saying want to buy some speakers that's what it felt like <laughs> now right? do you think you were more open to it because you had tried the cbd thing and if you hadn't kind of already been looking in the spirit side of things you know, already do you think you would have uh, entertained it less if you hadn't been it's a good question i i don't i don't know the answer i think that i think that i was looking and there were other ideas that got um you know, that, that hit the cutting room floor that we didn't talk about tonight. Um, and so I think I was really, I was thirsty for something new. I was really, I was really looking for something and it just never occurred to me that 
one of the things that I like to drink most could actually be a path forward. That's crazy. I mean, it's awesome. You get these barrels and then you said, Hey, can you get more? And he told you probably came back and said, yeah, I can. Uh, so what do you want to do about it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I wanted to modernize the look and feel of the bourbon industry. And that was the thesis for Blue Run from the start was that if you look across the shelf and just in general, so many brands have tan labels with brown script writing. They're called old this or ancient that, you know, and they kind of harken back to this yesteryear, right? Whether it's, you know, a few decades ago or a few centuries ago. And, you know, that's not, that's not necessarily what we were looking for, Jesse and I were looking for in a bourbon brand. I, I would argue that there aren't many brands out there or there aren't many brands out there today that really speak to me and I think to who I believe I am as a person and what I believe my values are. And, you know, uh, my my belief is that we live in this multicultural, diversifying world. This spirit is for everybody, Right. But it doesn't always feel like it's for everybody, right? When you're looking at, you know, an old dude smoking a cigar on a paper label, that's all well and fine. But that doesn't speak to kind of, I think, my generation or the generations, you know, that are that are younger than me. And so we were looking for a, a way to, to really modernize the look and feel of what was out there in the marketplace. Well, and I almost think like some of the most successful bottles for me that I'm seeing out there for newer brands are almost more minimalist than, you know, everything that's got like, at least for me, I want to see the liquid inside. And what I appreciate with your packaging, it's yes, we'll talk about the butterfly and we'll talk about the metamorphosis of everything. But like when I see it on the shelf, it's something that is distinctive. I was actually having this conversation with someone the other day where there's also not a lot of brands with logos, right? So if you think of, of, and we're going to talk about a little Forbes article that I really enjoy, that it talks about how Blue Run Spirits is sneakerizing the bourbon industry, but I bring it back to that because it's like the butterfly is almost like the Nike swoosh. You know, there's brands out there. It's like, yeah, okay, you know, like old number seven is is Jack. You know that the red wax is makers. You know that uh, the ribbon is going to be beam, but there aren't like logo logos. And I'd say the only ones that you really see out there, Penelope has really, what they've done with their P has kind of, that's their Nike swoosh. And then the butterfly of Blue Run to the point where like you can wear a hat that just has a butterfly on it. And if somebody has it on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, and you see it, you're like, oh, doesn't even say Blue Run on it, but I know that's Blue Run. And it's got to that point where the marketing, and I think that's what we were going to talk about. And I said, I was saving it for, it's not only getting the whiskey, it's the way that you rolled it out. It's the way that you marketed it. It's how you targeted, you know, reaching out to people individually, because I do want to touch on this because you said, hey, we don't have the money to pay to play like some people do. And, and we kind of talked about it at first. So it's like, okay, that means you are busting your butt and you're reaching out to people individually and you're sending handwritten notes and you're saying, hey, I'm going to send you a bottle. Will you please enjoy Blue Run? Tell me what you think and be honest. Yep. 
Sorry, I rambled and told a whole bunch of it, no, but now I, I want it. you to fill I mean, in the gaps. I know it's awesome because I think I think you could do this without me. That's what I love. I think one of the biggest epiphanies I had before, you know, in the in the formation of this of this company was picking up the phone and calling Devin McKinney from Nike. Yeah, I don't know if you've heard this story before or not, but I was driving by a Supreme store on a rainy day and I saw 500 people waiting in line, you know, because it was a, it was a, it was Thursday and Thursdays are Supreme drop days. And the thought process there was, well, can we apply that to bourbon? You know, is there a way to do that? And the, the, the next call was to Devin to say like, Hey, what do you, what do you think you can do with a bottle? And then all of a sudden he comes up with this butterfly, this logo, this medallion idea. And I got to admit, I didn't see it admit immediately. It was like, ah, I don't know. But that's that's the reason we brought Devin on is because he can see these things. He's got like this x-ray vision into the future. That's a superpower that, you know, I don't, I don't have that design element. All I knew is that I really wanted to be able to come up with the look and feel of a product that when you walked into a bar and you saw, you looked at the shelf, it was something that would pop, right? Something that's easy to pronounce, easy to order, and feels elevated for, you know, for the, for the, the, for modern generations, I guess I should say, that's probably the best, the best way to say it. And it's not that we're looking to cut out the, you know, the octogenarian crowd, but I believe that, that people who are older than you and I, we're not discounting them at all. This is a big tent. The idea is this is bourbon for everyone. Right. But, you know, we believe that, that, there's been this kind of belief that the American whiskey crowd is strictly defined, right? It is what it is. People who drink whiskey are people who drink whiskey. And, you know, you can't convert cognac drinkers or scotch drinkers or rum or, or like, you know, Añejo tequila drinkers. There's a common thread through that. And it's the color of the, of the, of the liquid, right? And so, can we do that? That's that's part of that's part of what we're trying to do is we're trying to we're trying to expand the world of people who bourbon appeals to. And I mean, I think the cool thing is that none of the releases are the same, but the way that you've done the marketing of of you know, the packaging here and what Devin has done very, very well is it still has a similar aesthetic. So you're not going to get confused. You know, the consumer does not get confused. It's very recognizable that when I pick this up. It's blue run. I know I got to look at the label to see, okay, is this the rye? Is this the high rye? Is this the 13 year whiskey? I mean, it, the label will tell me, but I, I find it funny. I've made the correlation between the sneaker world and the bourbon world for a lot of people. And, and I'm not trying to, like I told you before, this is not a, a gotcha show. I'm not trying to put you in hot water for, so I'll say it. So you don't have to. <laughs> for sneakers the secondary market is a very real thing that like people expect secondary sales to happen and i know what everybody's going to say is like okay yes bourbon is a controlled substance and that's why the secondary market is not right i tend to disagree with people just because i've been around long enough to when like i remember the secondary market was a lot of cost and shipping groups where we helped each other out in different parts of the country get stuff that we couldn't get i know yep. that what it has evolved into now is not always fun but you know there's a lot of people i met from those groups that are great drinkers that i enjoy hanging out with and sharing pours 
But I think the difference between the sneaker community, and, and I said that secondary thing, I mean, that is a difference, but the biggest difference between the sneaker community and the whiskey community is the sneaker community has all accepted how drops are going to go. Like they've accepted that, okay, Thursdays, it's a 500 person line outside Supreme, or like they know it's going to be a Yeezy raffle on confirmed and it's going to either really suck or it's going to be good. And like, you're going to hate it or you're going to like it, but sometimes you'll like it and sometimes you'll hate it. And like, everybody's kind of okay with it. And they know that the Nike sneakers app is not the best app in the whole entire world, but everybody kind of is okay with it, right? The whiskey community is going to bitch about every single way that a drop happens, no matter what. And I'm not, you don't have to say that. I'm not putting the hot water on you, but like, no, I'm, I'm happy to address that also. Like, but we um, could do it online. You know, you could have an online release and people are going to complain because it's online and like somebody did bots or you could do it at a distillery and then people are going to say, all right, the distillery messed up how you did it. Like we're never going to be happy. And for that, I'm sorry. Yeah, there's, there's no way. And, and I'll admit I will never be happy there is no perfect way to do this and we're trying, but like, even I'll I'll admit, even people who, who like, you know, strike it rich on our, our December releases, you know, 12 days in a row, there are even complaints from the people who go 12 out of 12. Right. Well, cause then the price is too high and then it's, you know, the other stuff and you know, nothing is, we like to find reasons to complain as a community about stuff. And I think that is actually kind of one of the fun things about, it's one of the crappy things about whiskey, but it's also one of the funny things about whiskey at the same time. Well, I agree. And that's maybe why I fit right in, you know, it's, it's, uh, it is difficult, right? Because if you go, if you say, okay, we're going to, we're going to do this via lottery, let's say you win the lottery People are going to be like, oh, well, they're friends. So, you know, it was rigged. It's like, man, we are not looking to rig anything. We're looking to make sure that the whole theory that we're, that, that, you know, our guiding principle is that we want to get as much of our whiskey into the hands of the people who want it, period. We're not looking to deprive anyone. That's not the goal. That's not the aim. I do want to point out one other interesting stat that is a a bit of of an aside, but I did learn the other day that the number one sneaker retailer in America is Nike. Do you know the number two would be? It's going to be something surprising. It's not going to be Adidas. No. Number three, I believe, is uh, Skechers. Number two, if this were an actual company, would be the Nike resale market. That's well, I mean, it is kind of crazy, though, because I I find there is such a correlation between the sneaker game and whiskey. I mean, the only difference, again, is one is a controlled substance. But you think about all the stuff Buffalo Trace is doing with the chips and you know, how they're actually putting that into the bottle now. And yeah, they're testing it and it's not a hundred percent you know, there yet, but you think about the controversy where, you know, StockX decided to take off, you know, the verification and mm-hmm. just what that means. Cause now you have, you know, counterfeiting in, and it had been around, but now, you know, counterfeiting in sneakers is, is a big thing. And StockX was where I would say probably one of the biggest reasons why the Nike resale market was number two. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've made more purchases than my wife appreciates on StockX 
I think it's a, I think it's a great market, you know, but the parallel is, you know, it's, it's a difficult one because we don't, we don't want to be, we don't want to be viewed as like, oh, people are buying blue run so that they can throw it onto the secondary as fast as possible. I don't think I haven't seen it, you know, just to be honest, I think the people that are getting it are really appreciative of it and I'm not seeing it pop up a lot. I go on there to research kind of like what are the things that are popping lately? Because it's just like in sneakers. If you want to know what's popping, you got to go to those resale apps and you're like, all right, what's the most value right now? What are people craving the most? It's like if Cactus Jacks come out and you see them at two grand on there, you're like, all right, I uh, yeah, I think that that's what's hot right now. And not in a way of like, I don't think there are brands. I also think not being on secondary is not indicative of not being hot i think it's like people know especially with an ndp and you have a limited amount of juice that like if they get a bottle there are some brands that people are just really appreciative and they sell well and they do well again i mean i see and i keep saying it like you with them but i see correlations like with penelope you don't see penelope going up on secondary a lot too they're also not putting out like a 13 year like you are, but I, I think that there are brands that people get and enjoy and they don't necessarily flip them because I also think that there's loyalty to the brand and I think yeah. there's loyalty to the people. That's why I, I said before, I think the most successful NDPs out there right now, like the consumers are buying the people. I mean, yes, they're buying Blue Run because they like the butterfly, they like the pack, like they like all that stuff. But I also think they're sold on your team. And, you know, a lot of people out there have a personal experience with you. And I think that says a lot about the brand. So I just really, I mean, one of the reasons I was so excited to talk to you tonight is because if you're going to take that time, like, I'm like, I want to meet this guy. I want to know what's going on in his head. I want to know because that it is a lot of time. And yes, you know, you're giving your money to Blue Run and, and you know, you've invested in the brand time. I mean, you, you have kids, you have all this other stuff going on. That time is so valuable. And but I also yeah. think it's the differentiator. It, it is. And, and so people are investing in Blue Run and we are investing in the people. This is really a, it's a two-way street. This is straight out of Politics 101, which is personal contact. And that, uh, maybe that's not, don't, don't take that the wrong way. But like actual engagement is the best way to think about this, right? Now, we can't necessarily engage with people who buy a bottle at retail, right? We don't always know who those people are. But, you know, John, it's hilarious because I'll get I'll get DMs or emails or text messages from people saying, here's a picture of my bottle and my receipt, and here's my address. Can you send me a note? That's awesome. There is no better feeling than the fact that somebody went out of their way and they spent their hard-earned money on a bottle of Blue Run, and they've seen that I write thank you notes and they want one. Politics, you know, if if I were the mayor or the governor or whomever senator making sure that you reach out to the people who support you and let them know how appreciative you are goes a long way that's simply the theory right i appreciate every single person who's buying a bottle you can't see this but behind me i've got probably i don't know 500 500 envelopes that are that are awaiting letters to be written it's not some sort of factory you know assembly line process these are 
like handwritten, thought out, and it takes time, like you say. I've got I've got a family. I find more often than not that after they go to sleep, I'm up writing notes. And it's so amazing to be able to go through these envelopes and say, like, oh, I know who this is. This is so and so on Instagram, or this person, I've been talking to them on on Twitter. And we develop a relationship in a way that that most brands can't do with their consumer base. That is, I think, part of the part of the 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 secret sauce that we've been able to to apply that hasn't been seen otherwise. I completely agree. I mean, I, I especially think for the brands and you all are putting down new make and, and I think that's important to you. Know, there is a plan. There is a long term plan here. But especially for brands that are starting out as NDPs, it is what is that differentiator? And the brands that are killing it right now are the brands that reach out and touch people. And like, I find it funny because I, I had a conversation with someone and they were talking about, you know, how crappy the bigger <laughs> stories social media is. And I'm like, yeah, but Jim Beam doesn't need us. Like they don't need anybody to, and the majority of brands, I say this with peace and love to all the other people that have podcasts and all that, like including ourselves, like you don't need us. You have an Instagram, you can go live, you can reach out and touch people. It's like, yeah, do we have a really good conversation together? And does that help? Sure. But like you could just fire up Instagram live today and go have a conversation with all your people. It's like, you don't need the podcast. You don't need the other stuff. I love that you love doing them. So thank you very much. I mean, that, that- I love it. And we do. And the thing is we do need it. We do need it. People have a lot of choices out there, right? You've, 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 you've likely been to a liquor store recently. Yes. <laughs> there are a lot of choices out there. So what, what, what is the incentive for someone to choose Blue Run over another over another brand, um, you know, and I think we've got some differentiators. I think that the Jim Rutledge Jim Rutledge touch is impossible to recreate. We'll get into this later, I hope, with you know Emerald Rye, which I can't stop pouring. It's Jim's first rye ever. Yeah, I think we right. should talk about this. Jim Rutledge is approving all the barrels he's doing. You know, all the new make. He is very involved in Blue Run. I should also mention, you know, because I, I know Mike has to put his kids to bed eventually. Mike sent three whiskeys my way. Just so you know, I'm not greedy. These are two ounce samples. And I asked specifically for two ounce samples because I know that he could send, you know, multiple of these two ounce samples of a bottle out to people and share the wealth. So I hope he does that. So you sent me the Emerald Rye Whiskey, the High Rye Whiskey, which is the straight bourbon whiskey, but high rye. And then uh, I'm assuming that's 36% rye for that one, right? Uh, on the the on the on High Rye? Yeah. It's a 30% rye. Oh, there you go. And then... Yeah, so it really, it really is a high rye on that one. Reflection One, which is a Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey. The proofs for the Emerald Rye was 116.7. The proof of the High Rye was 111. This Reflection is the lowest at 95 proof. But it's funny, I uh, just talking about these whiskeys for a second, I feel like the Reflection had the most bold mouthfeel out of the three, and it was the lowest proof. Isn't that interesting? That was super um, interesting to me. It, it is completely unexpected. Uh, when that came out, what I told people is that I want to fill my garage with as many cases of that as I can. 
the other interesting uh, comment that I have to make about the three samples that we sent you is that's all Jim Rutledge distillate. You know, we're not talking about just straight, you know, typical NDP source barrels. This is the magic of Jim Rutledge. And this is the future of Blue Run, essentially. Yes. Got it. We're really just scratching the surface now in terms of, of where we can go and what we have in store. You know, Jim taught us early on that, you know, age on a barrel is great, but, you know, there's no magic age. The magic age to Jim is when a barrel's ready, put it in a bottle. And so that's what we feel like we've done with these three. It'll be interesting to see what happens over time with all of these barrels as they continue to age. But we feel like this is a very, very good representation of where we're headed and why people should choose to jump on the Blue Run train now. We're creating some really fun, exciting releases that kind of run the gamut in terms of, like you say, mouthfeel, uh, flavor, complexity, layers, and the like. There's something, there's something new and different. You know, I, I find that people ask me, like, well, what are you drinking the most of right now? And it, it's kind of like it depends on the day. Today, it just so happens to be a lot of emerald. But I went through about a week uh, this past week where it was high rye or nothing. Right. It's also like how you feel. And I love people ask me all the time, what's your favorite whiskey? And I go, it depends on the time of the year. What what temperature is it outside? Like, you know, I don't want to be 100 degrees outside and be drinking 120 proof whiskey. Like also, what day of the week is it? You know, because, hey, today's yeah. Wednesday. I'm not going to be killing high... I'm drinking high proof whiskey with you, but I did half ounce pours. I'm not going to necessarily go kill 120 proof whiskey. You know, I got to work tomorrow. So yeah, you can't put on a hazmat suit every day and every night. You know, there's different things that, that people look for, but I got to tell you, I think you're right about reflection and there's a story to reflection that I I would love to, at least uh, I can, I can touch upon perhaps not the, the extreme details, but you know, these barrels were being stored at Castle and Key, and uh, in 2020, I'd requested samples from a handful of different barrels. And what I got, unfortunately, in the mail was about 20 samples from the same barrel. And so uh, this isn't what I asked for. Oh, um, man. <laughs> right? Like, this is great. We just drained a barrel. And so at the time... Both myself and one of my other co-founders were going through some fairly scary personal times, health-related issues with with family members. And so, you know, I think these samples came through to me at like 100 and, I don't know, 126 proof or something like that. And I didn't have the time for that. And I didn't have the ability to even take down a one-ounce pour at 124, 125, 126 proof. And so... I started playing with this and I'm not a blender. I know nothing about blending, right? All I know is that the people who do it are really good. So all I did was proof it down. I proofed it down fairly significantly down to down to 95. And I was like, holy crap, what is this? And so in, in talking this through with our team, uh, we wanted to create something with this product that looked back on the hard times that we had been going through. And so we came up with the idea of, you know, this is really, it was the bourbon we were drinking to reflect upon the times that we were going through. And that's the idea behind reflection. Oh man, that that's heavy. That makes me want to get a bottle of it because I can totally relate, you know, to, uh, 
to that in 2022. And um, yeah, that's heavy. I also find it interesting, and it's something that Zeke and I talk about on the show all the time. I appreciate you saying that you're not a blender and that you just proofed it down to 95, and that makes a whole lot of sense. I always find it funny when LTOs come out and they're right on the money of 95, like, I'm like, but was 95.3, was that okay? Or was it just nine, yeah. you know, like, and it makes a lot well, of sense. That was sense. my favorite radio station. Um, yeah. <laughs> 95.3, the hits. But no, like it was, it was one of those things where I always find like, there are certain big brands, like big, big brands that will put out an LTO and it'll be at like 93 proof. And I'm just like, yeah, but like, did you just like, put it at 93 and call it a day and just say like we're phoning this one in y'all but at the same time knowing that it was you it makes it that much better and i love the story that much more that like and also it, it's a a big you're gonna understand this you know considering your past and and what you've done when it comes to excel i'm like give me all the data and let me parse it down to what i need but I would rather have more and then shrink it down than have less and like you can't go up. And that's how yeah. I feel like with whiskey and the beautiful thing about it is like, you're like, listen, I proofed it down to where I wanted it to be. But if I didn't get it at 120 proof to begin with, I wouldn't have even had the flexibility to proof it down to where I wanted it to go. I, w- I wouldn't have. And um, nor would I have done this if I had gotten what I'd asked for. You know, so it's like, it's one of those happy accidents. Um, but now we have not only Jim Rutledge, but we have Shailen Gammon. And, you know, these two are like two peas in a pod. They are exacting. Their noses and their palates are, you know, divine. I, I don't know how they do it. I, I can do like the gross, I don't mean gross in a, you know, in a, in a, in a negative way, but like the gross flavors of, vanilla caramel chocolate right but i can't get like summer cucumber let me give you let me give you a big hint here too though never try to get summer cucumber because for the majority (laughs) of us right like we just need to flip it to you know factory senses that we know this is grandma's biscuits and gravy or this is you know like sometimes zeke sometimes really like gets on a meat kick for the longest time in the very beginning, it was kudzu syrup, things like that, like very things that only he would know. Very obscure. Yes, right? but it made sense sure. to him, right? Like, and sometimes it's a piece of juicy fruit gum or, you know, something like that. But whatever, you know, Werther's candy is a very, you know, with the, the caramel that is in whiskey. You know, so just... Don't feel like you need to go too crazy. Just find what works and like things that you know and say that and people are going to be right there with you. Yeah. Although I can tell you, we do have, we do have a release coming out soon with a tasting note that includes salted foie gras. <laughs> um, and I'm so excited. I'm so excited about it. Um, <laughs> it's pretty incredible. I saw pictures from the Bourbon Classic tonight, and there was cotton candy fragua, and I was just oh, like, wow. "Oh man, like like they went fancy. They went fancy." I guess you can do anything, right? Yeah, I guess you can do anything. That actually sounds really. That sounds pretty good. Um, but all so three of these, just... from your own distillate, and and sorry, not to not to cut you off. Yeah, right go there, ahead. But all three of these from your own distillate, 
And obviously, I, I'm curious, what's the mash bill of the rye? The emerald? Yeah. It's, uh, it's a, tw- I want to say 2070-10. Thank you. Because I like it a lot. And I currently have broken up with 95.5 rye. Like we, yeah. we just, I'm sorry, I'm just not that into you. It's all the pine and mint and all that that's kind of there and, and wintergreen that just, I feel like if I wanted to drink a pine cone air freshener, I'd just drink a pine cone air freshener. And you hop in an Uber. Yeah. So I love more of a Kentucky rye and, and more of the, you know, the corn in there and, and just some balance with it that you you get the spice and yeah, you might get some mint and wintergreen and all that, but it's not going to overpower it. Yeah. It's more of, I think, I think our rye in general are, are more of you know the the typical bourbon drinkers rise yeah um i i like i was never much of a rye fan until uh until i had our golden rye and i don't know if you've you've had that but if you haven't we'll make sure that does happen um and it's a great movie great game for nintendo 64 too right <laughs> sorry dad joke it's okay we, i don't know if any you know for all the dads you're welcome um <laughs> <laughs> but you know rye was always this this like difficult drink for me where i almost felt like i needed a steak knife to get through it and i don't always want a steak knife to drink my bourbon right i don't want to have to work that hard it's like it's 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 like the reason that i don't eat a lot of well two reasons why i don't eat a lot of uh, lobster or crab super expensive but the reason I don't like to eat lobster and crab is because I don't like working for my food. Yeah. Right. And, and so that's how I feel about my rye whiskey. Also, I don't want to work that hard for it. Right. I want it to come to me more than me needing to attack it to get through it. Well, it's the, it's the spice too, right? Like if it's too, I like the tingle, but I don't want, I'm at the point right now, at least me personally, and, and kind of what I like about these pours is that everything is so complex. You know, the stuff we're getting sent and we review things and there's so many complex bourbons and there's just a lot going on. But when I'm by myself and I'm not quote unquote, you know, doing this for a hobby that doesn't pay me any money, um, I, I like to just have something that's an easy sipper and it goes down and it does the job and I don't have to think about it too much and it's just good. I appreciate these in the sense of like there's enough complexity that it keeps you happy, but it also just these go down easy for what they are and I appreciate that. You know, I, I definitely think that reflection surprised the hell out of me. I was like, all right, I'm going to like the high ride the most. You know, I really did like the high rye, but the reflection, that's a, that is a sleeper right there. You know, it, it comes in and you're just like, oh, damn, I was not expecting that. It, it, it is a big sleeper. And it's like, um, this is the magic of pairing Jim Rutledge with Shailen Gammon, right? So Jim, Jim distilled these barrels. Um, Shailen selected the barrels to create that blend. And then she, she put it together, right? But I'll also tell you, there's going to be a reflection two coming out later this year. If you look at the bottle, for those for those who have a bottle, you'll see a Roman numeral after reflection. Right now, it's a one. And the idea is there will be iterations 
of reflection. Um, and they may deviate, right? You may get different proof points. You may get different flavor profiles. But the idea behind what we're trying to do with reflection remains unchanged. This is this is a this is like a, a personal ode to our, our challenges from 2020. And I hope people like it as much as you do and as much as I do, because it's it's imminently sippable. Uh, whether it's the dead of winter where there's a storm, you know, that's uh that's swirling the United States, or you know, it's the fourth of July and it's ninety-five degrees outside. It's 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 a bourbon for all seasons and and that's what I really, really like about it. We probably need to get you on again to talk about the future of Blue Run and all the stuff that's going on. But what else should we be expecting this year? You know, you talk about a reflection too. What else do you think is going to come out? Because Emerald Rye was only 189 barrels. It's already sold out. So that's gone. Um, you know, we know that there are things that, that once you put them out there, they get snatched up pretty quickly. So uh, what else should people be on the lookout for? Yeah, well, that it, it's a good lesson, isn't it? Right, like get it, get it while you can, um, and uh, and stock it. You know, get a get a backup. Yeah. Uh, also, because like you know, you, I showed you earlier. I've been earlier. I was drinking this uh, this island spice cake bottle, and you know, you can see it's like what a quarter. I've got like three quarters of it left, and this is the bottle that I'm like hiding. You know, that when people come over, it's like, I don't, I don't know if I have that because I want it to last. And this thing is even last me like a decade because I'll never see it again. There is a lot of that going on. We actually have, uh, we're going to have a couple different age stated products um, that I think people are really going to love. And, uh, you know, there are, uh, there are a handful of other surprises, I guess I should say, that are, that are, that are on the way. We'll be doing the 12 days again. Um, so, you know, year one was, we just called it the 12 days of bourbon. Year two was winter solstice. We'll see what, what year three is going to look like, but those are, those are super hot bottles that go really fast. And, you know, you've probably seen them on Instagram, you know, the, the colors and the photo of the photos that people take really just pop. But what really pops is the bourbon that's inside of them with, with, with Shaylin, who's actually selecting these barrels, the complexity of these barrels that she finds you know, if if I went out and selected other barrels, they'd probably t- all taste the same. With Shayla, she's able to go out and find twelve really distinct, unique barrels. Like you can tell they're related, but like they're all distant cousins. So you're not just buying like twelve bottles that are like, oh, these are all the same. Great. You know, I had this one, and this one tastes like the next one. One is a one is a redhead. One's a blonde, and uh, the next one is bald, like like us, and. And it's really just it's it's fun to be able to compare and contrast. So we'll have more of that coming. But you know the 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 thing that we're working toward that hopefully is coming in around 2025 is shedding that NDP status and uh, shifting into a DSP. That's awesome. Right? So we yeah, it's it's really really exciting. It's really big news. It's nothing we ever expected. This was not part of the plan. Is this going to make uh, you move from LA? Uh, it's going to have me spending a lot more time. So my my daughter is twelve; she is in sixth grade, and that is a very very difficult time to pack up and and move. You know that said, there is uh, there is a there is one direct flight from LA to uh, to SDF in Louisville, 
And uh, I'm going to be spending a lot of time on that, which is exciting. I mean, we're, we're building, we're going to be building the future. You know, the thing I can tell you is that much like our bottle, how distinctive it is, the facility we're, we're building will be equally as distinct. Please tell me the visitor center is going to look like a big butterfly. Like just the whole thing, like the offices are up on the wing, higher up at the bottom floor, you know, like one part of the one wing is going to be the tasting room and all that. And the other wing is going to be the shop. There will be some surprises. And I, I, I imagine that later this year we'll be, we'll be sharing some of the early visions for what, uh, for what the distillery will look like. It's not going to look like most of the distilleries out there. It's not going to feel like most of the distilleries out there. And that's that's on purpose, right? That's that's part of the goal, is that our distillery needs to needs to to feel no different than our bottle looks. If we're going to stand out on a shelf, we need to stand out in terms of of the facility that we're building. It needs to be welcoming. I make the I, I often make the joke that with our architects that we want to build a shrine, but we don't want it to feel like. Like that house you go to that has all the white furniture and you walk in and you're like, am I allowed to sit here? Is this sitting furniture or is this just for looks? And so it needs to really feel welcoming and inviting at the same time and not overwhelming or not like, am I allowed to be here? Am I allowed to do this? We want everybody to show up. We want them to be there all the time. We're going to do some really cool stuff. It's not just going to look cool. It's going to feel cool. If that's the case, then make sure there's food. Just throwing that out there as an idea. I think that the best distilleries have found a way to have a restaurant there too. Yeah. And I agree. You know, we, we've, um, we've done a lot of our, our growing up at Bardstown Bourbon Company. Yeah. Um, We love the BBC folks. We love the BBC facility. They do things right. And so we've learned a lot from, uh, from them and, they do food well. They do the experience well, and you know we're we're trying to we're trying to 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 learn from and emulate the best, but put our own spin on it too, right? Like you know, for for dads drinking bourbon, right? We want we want people, you know, we want your listeners to be able to show up and say this feels like home. Yeah, and right? that's why you know, as a fat guy, I need food, and then it feels like yeah. home. Like, but I also think it's also why. I've called multiple times your Bardstown Bourbon Company, the Grand Central Station of Bourbon, because you never know who's going to. Now, I, I think also, though, the wild card in there now is the bar at Willet has has also kind of taken some of that, too. But you never know who's going to be in either one of those places. And like yeah. the food at Bardstown Bourbon Company is crazy. The the special burger that they only do 10 of at Willet is crazy good too, by the way, if you haven't had it, it is to die for. I've always been 11. I've always been 11th in line. So. Oh, it's so good. It yeah. really is like the burger is so good there, but I think it's those Speaking places. Of, can I, can I just point out really quickly? I think um, the best bacon that I've ever had in my life is on the burger at the hotel distill. Really? It is. It's incredible. They do it like sous vide. Um, it, it it's it may be the best thing I've ever eaten in my entire life. I am dying to go up. I haven't been to Bar Sound in a minute, but I'm dying to go up now that the Motor Lodge is open 
and yep. to Toogie's table. Looks really cool, doesn't it? Yeah, and Sam, you know, having left Bardstown and taking all that hospitality that she knows and going and applying that at the motor, like, I can't wait to go. But It's going to be a lot of fun, right? Oh, like, you're 100%. right. It is the Grand Central Station, and that and and that there needs to there need to be more Grand Central stations available to people. Agreed. Um, right, and so hang out. You know, we're we're gonna there there will be an ability to enjoy and to have experiences, and not just show up. You know, get ushered through a tasting, and you know, get out. Maybe I'll need like axe throwing there. Like something, some activity that people could do. No distillery has like an activity that once you go inside, there's something else there. Like an arcade, you know, like an adult an arcade. arcade. I think axe throwing, I wonder though, like, um, it seems like uh, the the insurance policy we'd have to take on for axe throwing could be. I mean, I guess that's like the, the thing that people do now. I don't know. But like some activity, well, something remember, there. Do you remember when uh, back in the day, uh, Oh, it was Dixon. Dixon was going to do a uh, a uh, a roller coaster at Kentucky Owl. Oh man, that would be. I mean, that place did look like an amusement park. That right. would have been crazy. Unfortunately, that never got never got built. But that could have been. You know, that would have been cool. I could not have a couple pours and hop on a on a roller coaster. I can't. I can't hop on a roller coaster with with no pours. Same. And I truly believe I tell people if there was a little fake steering wheel in front and you told me I was driving it, I'd be okay. It totally is totally different scene, right? Yeah. Right. It's a hundred percent. Like you could tell me, like, listen, we're putting you in this special seat. You have the wheel, you're driving the roller coaster, like don't tell me anything else. I'd be fine. But yeah. it is that click, 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 click is not gonna bother me yeah. as we're going up and about to crest, right? I feel you. That is, I feel the exact same way. I struggle. I'm the uh, guy that's great. I will hold the line for everybody else in in the family. And like, I will sit there and wait while you go on another line. And then I'll hold all your stuff while you go on this one. It's okay. Like I'm fine with it. I just know it's not for me. Well, I think every family needs a caddy like that. I like the way you put that. Yeah. I'm happy to be that caddy as well. Well, right. you're going to need this club to ride on to, to you know, hop on this ride. And uh, I'm not going to be there, but I'm going to guide you along the way. And then I hope you uh, hope you enjoy it. I have the yardage book in my back pocket for the, the amusement park. But <laughs> Mike, we're going to have to do this again. I know I feel bad. I, I we're in such a, a stride, but I know you got to put the kids to bed. I know you're solo dad tonight. You are a dad drinking bourbon a dad making bourbon. We love Blue Run, everything you've done. It, it has been so good to talk to you. I'm wishing you all the best, and I there's going to be awesome things to come, but please come on, keep us updated throughout the way. I can't wait for us to share a pour in person and all that fun stuff because I feel like uh, I got a new good friend tonight. So thank you very much, Mike, again for, for coming on. Well, thank you, and, and John, I will be here as often as as you'll allow me hundred percent. We'll, we'll do it. We'll do it every couple of months. Uh, go to blue I might Run. Be your third. I might be your third co-host. I mean, it's like, how do I, is there, a, is there an application process for this? Cause I want in. Oh no, you're in Zeke. Like doesn't do it half the time. So whenever you want, you could, you could fill in, <laughs> interview other brands with me. It's all good. I love it. 
<laughs> I really do appreciate it, though. And and seriously, you know, I, we joked about this earlier. You know, I, I call this like the big leagues, but I have always wanted to join you. I think the content that you create is fantastic. It speaks to me, you know, as it should as a dad who drinks bourbon, <laughs> um, right? But it it speaks to me in a way that that you should be very, very proud of. And, and so thank you for letting me be a small part of your world. No, I, you're, you're a big part of it now, but thank you so much for, for saying that. And, um, you know, we've definitely been fans of, of everything you've done and that's why we've wanted you on. Cause when you see brands doing it in the right way, it speaks to us as well. So mutual admiration society is how we're going to go out of this show. I love it. And uh, thank you so much again, Mike, go ahead and go to blue run They are on all the, the socials with blue run very active on, uh, on Instagram. I think you're on as Ella's dad, Mike, right? I am Ella's dad, Mike, give me a follow, send me a message. I think that uh, pretty much all of my followers can attest to the fact that uh, if you hit me up, I will respond. We'll have a conversation. I'll get to know you. You'll get to know me, and it'll be pretty awesome. Mike, thank you again. Go ahead and find us on Facebook at Dad's Drinking Bourbon, Twitter at Bourbon Dads, Instagram at Dad's Drinking Bourbon. Please leave us an opener honest review, just like we leave opener honest reviews about the whiskey we drink. You can also find us here in Nashville, Tennessee. Cheers, Mike. Thank you.